0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. My name's Louise Richardson-Self, and I'm a lecturer in philosophy and gender studies at the University of Tasmania.
0: Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali, and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy.
1: I'm Jackie Broad. I'm an ARC Future Fellow at Monash University, Melbourne, and I'm listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR.
0: You're listening to Radical Philosophy, and I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today we have an interview with Professor Jane Caputi, and she's going to be speaking about a fairly close friend of hers, Mary Daly. Mary Daly... Was born on the 16th of October 1928 and was an American radical feminist philosopher, academic, and theologian. Daly, who described herself as a radical lesbian feminist, taught at Boston College for 33 years. Daly retired in 1999 after violating university policy by refusing to allow male students in her advanced women's studies classes. She allowed male students in her introductory class and privately tutored those who wanted to take advanced classes. And I'm speaking to Professor Jane Caputi. Welcome to the program, Jane.
1: Thank you happy to be here.
0: Now, the first two books that Mary Daly wrote were The Church and the Second Sex and Beyond God the Father, Towards a Philosophy of Women's Liberation. How did her view of theology change after she'd written these books?
1: Well, it really changed after she wrote The Church and the Second Sex. Just a little background, Mary had grown up in a working-class family in new york central new york state gone to catholic schools but always knew that she wanted higher learning and her teachers knew that she was very brilliant as well and she wanted to get a phd in sacred theology in the united states but no schools admitted women so i believe she got a phd in english and in, in the united states and then went off the only school that would admit her was in Switzerland, the University of Fribourg, and she got two PhDs there, one in sacred theology and one in philosophy, I believe, if I remember correctly. And she was still a the Catholic, and she wrote The Church and the Second Sex as part of the wave of reform that accompanied back into, and, you know, the, the liberation movements that were beginning to stir, the social justice movements, obviously the civil rights movement, the nascent women's liberation movement. And she wrote that from the position of somebody who was still inside the Church. Nonetheless, it was perceived as completely radical and unacceptable by the Catholic Church, and she was actually denied tenure at Boston College, which only admitted men at that point into the College of Arts and Sciences. So actually her male students rebelled and picketed and demonstrated until they did grant Mary Daly tenure. Then it was after the Church in the Second Sex, which I believe came out in 1968, that she continued to radicalize and really move away from the Catholic Church, realizing that it was really antithetical to the cause of women's liberation, that it was the most extreme patriarchal institution, and that the real movement of liberation would be to lead the Church. And she actually preached a sermon at... um, Harvard Memorial Chapel and led a walk out of any woman who would join her. And like this was a this was an unexpected thing that she told the women, You have to leave the church, walk out with me and she led everybody out of the church. And after that came Beyond God the Father. And Beyond God the Father was post Catholic. She was no longer identifying as a Catholic. And she Beyond God the Father many people consider to be her most philosophical work where she explores the concept of the divine As what she called being, and really rendering it as a verb, not as a noun, and exploring all the dimensions of being and how patriarchal religion has been all about squashing the being of women, but how breaking free of all of that, exercising that from the self and from the world, is the step into liberation.
0: Just some background. On Mary Daly. She, um, she was an only child, wasn't she? And she had very. Yes, she two... was an only child. Yeah, she was very close to her mother, but she had two very yes. loving parents, didn't she? And a very happy childhood. Yes,
1: she was a rebel, so as, as many rebels go, you know, she'd get into trouble. But, uh, I mean, just that kind of trouble of like, you know, she would question everything. Um, nothing really serious trouble, but, uh, but yes, she was very much loved by her parents who really nurtured her desire to learn. She would always tell me how, you know, after dinner, she would make a half-hearted attempt to help her mother with the dishes, and her mother would say, no, this isn't for you. You go study your books. So right away as a small child. And Mary was a very mystical child, and certainly an adult, and I don't know if you've read Outer Course, but she talks about some of the, what you'd have to think of as visionary experiences of seeing books glowing and of hearing a clover speak to her or a hedge speak to her, who would give her, you know, really like the hedge, I think, what, what the clover, I think, said continued being. and uh, But she would hear these things and know that she really had a path, she really had a purpose, and uh, it was to become a philosopher.
0: I think she always had a great love of books as well, or I remember... Uh, one one part she actually wrote about how the teacher told the class of students that everybody would have a new toy tomorrow, and then she asked everybody to bring in one of their old toys and she brought in a, a wind up monkey and which which one boy who wouldn't have been able, his parents wouldn't have been able to afford such a lavish toy. He ended up getting her wind-up monkey, but she uh, took two oddly shaped books home. And she was she was very, very pleased with the books. And I think a lot of children, especially at that age, would have, would have been happy to sort of pass the books on and, and get a toy instead.
1: Right. You know, definitely not Mary. Books were magical to her and always calling to her. Nothing made her happier than... Writing another book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, in Mary's book, Gynecology, The Metaethics of Radical Feminism, she names atrocities that have been committed against women. Could you explain about these?
1: Yes. Gynecology, and I think it's in the subtitle as well, is a journey of exorcism and ecstasy. Mary would never guess. She's going to write about atrocities, and I'll get to that. But she was never only write about atrocities. She felt it was completely necessary, respecting um, not only one's own health, but, but reality. And always, if you criticize the atrocity, you also have to provide you know, this kind of vision of how to move beyond and also the integrity of being, the life force. So she was always about that, not only exorcism, which was naming the atrocities, naming them so that you would be able to combat them, resist them, you know, stop them. And then, but also the path toward ecstasy, which was in this journey of discovering and naming oneself, claiming self-definition of oneself, and really encountering the world on its own terms of being, you know, the world not as a dead object to be controlled or dominated, but the world as filled with what she called in a later book, pure lust, the life force. You know, this glorious, green unfolding of life. But she does see patriarchy as basically the essential the of the planet and its essential message being necrophilia, by which she meant just the antithesis of life. Not even natural death, you know, which is part of the life cycle, but necrophilia is love of things being fixed, being objectified, never moving. Um, being objects to be controlled, and that patriarchal cultures tend to turn that everything. But they also act out their love of violence and death through these kinds of atrocities against women. And at this point in women's liberation, she was doing what seemed to be a very bold and good move, which was naming patriarchy as a universal force and showing that the European rich burnings, Chinese foot binding... Indian sati, were, were some of the atrocities, African, but what's now mostly called genital cutting, what can be called also genital mutilation. And she, tried, she showed, and she named the syndrome, that there were all these atrocities, and they all showed that patriarchy was this planetary phenomenon that similarly abused women in these ways. Um, of course, in some ways... That was very valuable, but it was also criticized, and all of us associated with Mary learned a lot by this, that, you know, how difficult it was to write about other cultures from the outside, that this is a colonialist, imperialist world, and that Western cultures have often defined other cultures as backwards or savage, and that feminists can... Somehow project all that kind of atrocity or violence onto other cultures, feminists in the West, and not look as much at their own culture, you know Mary, so a lot was learned during that, but the atrocities, especially her analysis of the European witch craze, remained very powerful, and also the practices of American gynecology um, that she also so she did analyze her own culture, but she did certainly get some criticism to some of the not as well-informed as they might have been, ways that she talked about other cultures.
0: I suppose we all, we all have the right to make moral judgments, don't we? We don't have to be part of that culture to actually criticize it. And I, I think myself yes, that there is a universal right and wrong, isn't there?
1: Yes, but you know that that is debated. I mean, if you talk to another philosopher, Martin Nussbaum, who certainly argues for a universal standard of human rights, but some would... But it wasn't so much that, that Mary had made a moral judgment, but that she had not looked at, she had only looked at the women from these other cultures as victims and didn't look at, like, the way that women in those cultures also resisted, how they defined their own lives, how they were not, you know, that like, places like Africa did not have the same type of patriarchal cultures, and maybe not all of the cultures were patriarchal and that many patriarchal modes of being had been imposed on them through Western colonization. And so, you know, it was really just sort of opening up those decolonial studies that, you know, many of us as white feminists were not doing at that time. So, you know, Mary, Mary you know, did this and then was criticized for it, but everybody learned from it. And I still teach gynecology, I think, there's a great, I mean, I think it is a brilliant work of genius. And uh, much of it, you know, so you teach it and you say, well, this is what we learned at that time. I mean, another philosopher, Linda Alcock, says out of error comes. You know, we all make errors or we all don't see the whole picture at a certain point. But out of, when we do those kind of things, they always yield to new knowledge.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you used to, like, teach the the book. Do you Do you think that... Anything has changed or gotten better for women in the world in general?
1: Yes, yes, I do. I mean, I think they're ready. I think they're, they're, particularly in the United States right now, there's just such an enormous pushback against women's rights as well as, like, the rights of um, black people, of Native Americans. I mean, you know, we have Donald Trump running for president who really is, you know, mouthing a great deal of racist, sexist, and xenophobic language. So, yeah, we certainly... I mean, when Mary Daly was writing Gynecology, marital rape was still legal in almost every state in the United States, right? Sexual harassment was not against the law. You know, it was in the midst of this extraordinary global women's movement that has challenged patriarchal cultures at every level, and we've won many... Right, and we've changed the discourse in many ways. But there's always pushback against that, including the same kind of pushback that has made, basically made it that Mary Daly, one of the greatest minds of her time, has now been what she would have herself predicted, you know, that they try to marginalize her and even erase her, because she, once, you know, there's so much of feminism that tries to just replicate masculine standards of rationality and discourse and looks only to european men to be the legitimating fathers of knowledge mary would be the first one to criticize that right that women have our own knowledge traditions that yes mary daley studied herself thomas aquinas and western theology and philosophy and it gave her great tools to analyze and deconstruct patriarchy as well as generate her own philosophy. But she would be the first to say that we also have to look at um, other traditions of knowledge that have been largely discredited and not replicate, you know, the same kind of patterns of thought and discourse that are so deadening or what she would call necrophilic.
0: You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR. And I'm speaking to Professor Jane Caputi about Mary Daly. Mary Daly worked with you on a book called Webster's First New Intergalactic Wikendary of the English Language. So what was, this right. book, what was this book about and how did you come to write it with Mary?
1: Mary is an Irish-American and extremely identified with her Irish heritage and even told me that one of her ancestors was a bard. And a bard, of course, is a very celebrated figure in an oral tradition. And the bard is the poet, the the speaker, whose words really are filled with power, even what many cultures consider almost a magical power to make things happen, who can put people into a different state of consciousness by the power of their words. And Mary Daly had that power. There's no question about it. That's why you can say that you were inspired by gynecology, especially sometimes when you read it out loud. She made up new words. She invented whole new ways of seeing the world. I mean, that's very much the, the power in gynecology in every book after that um, that departs from traditional kind of modes of argumentation, et cetera, which she was very good at. But she went into this creation of new language, going back into the ancient Underpinnings of time and space to discover words, myths, goddesses who could bring that kind of power into the present and inspire women. Powers like the Medusa, the Hag, the Crone, the Amazon, and she would work all this into her, into her you know, writing. And she would make up words all the time. gyne ecology. She put a slash through the gyne, which means women, and ecology, and then turned it away from this medical profession that has obviously helped women, and you know, we need doctors in medicine, but had also historically harmed women as well with um, mutilating operations on women that were unnecessary, you know, different kind of experimentations of drugs, etc., or just teaching, you know, being the experts on women's bodies, and women were not allowed any knowledge of their bodies. So anyway, Mary made up all these words and she would just sort of hear them or sometimes we would engage in when I was working with her. I was a student at Boston College, an undergraduate, and, you know, she liked the way I thought and she hired me to be her research assistant on gynecology, which also meant that I would go over there. We'd both stay up really late. I would go over there and we'd work until three o'clock in the morning and she'd read aloud to me what she had written that day and we would discuss it and... You know, I would give her feedback or offer some ideas, and we would hunt through the dictionary. It was always seen as sort of a mystical venture, like what word led to what word led to what word. So Mary and I worked together well on these words, and then the idea came to her to do... She made up the idea of a wickedary, a dictionary for wicked women, in her 1984 book, Pure Lust. And she called me up and said, why don't we actually put the wickedary into being? and invited me to come to Boston and work on it with her. So The Wicked Area is a compendium that really encapsulates a great deal of her thought. It includes all of her new words, as well as some very germinative essays about the power of words and her method in conjuring new realities by the conjuring of new symbols, myths, and words.
0: I particularly like the graphics as well.
1: Yeah, and we had gone down to, you know, one of the wonderful parts of the women's movement, but now unfortunately capitalism swallowed a lot of it alive. But there were women's bookstores, women's restaurants. And of course men went there as well, but these were alternatives to patriarchal spaces. You know, you notice know in Mary work, it's always the importance of creating a new space and a new time as well as new words. So actually live the way we want the world to be. And, you know, creation of these alternative spaces where different energies can be thought, different thoughts and words can be thought and said. So we went down to um, Connecticut, where there was a wonderful feminist restaurant called Bloodroot. And they just happened to be having an art show at the time. And Sudi Rackison was the featured artist, and Mary knew right away that she wanted her to illustrate the Wickedary. And she illustrated Mary's books from that time on.
0: Mary Daly worked at the Boston College from 1967 to 1999 and taught theology, feminist ethics and patriarchy. Some of her classes were women only and I I suppose that this is just an extension of having segregated high schools where a lot of parents feel that in an all-girls school it's beneficial for their daughter's education. But, However, this was challenged at Boston College, wasn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that isn't why she did it, either. <laughs> when Mary first got there, as I said, women were not allowed into the College of Arts and Sciences, so she had only men in her theology classes. But I think they started letting women in right around the time I started going there, 1970. And this is a, this is a tradition, a Catholic Jesuit tradition, where women were not allowed to be educated forever, and women were kept out of classrooms. So Mary did something. She wanted to upend it, Um, and she wanted to, um, in some way, challenge the fact that we just took it for granted that women were seen as uneducable and were forbidden education for so many centuries by the Catholic Church. So she also developed a concept that she called, well, she got this word from Emily Culpepper, who was really Mary's literary executor and also knows a great deal about Mary Daly's work, and has also written some wonderful works of her own. But gynergy, which is female energy. Now, you know, what that means, and is is this essentialism, you know, we can all debate about that. But what Mary meant was that there was a spirit and an energy wave of resistance when women were not around men. And sometimes it's because that women have been so conditioned to take care of men. So if you were in a class that was discussing men's abuse of women, the men would all say, "But I don't do that," or all the women say, oh, "We know it's not you." And they would all take care of the men and make sure their feelings weren't being hurt. And you know, think about how that diverted women's learning as well as original thought. So Mary, Mary, and certainly this is part of many radical movements, demanded a kind of separatism where you would have certain spaces where there would be only women, and she wanted her classrooms to be those kinds of spaces. Not only to prevent, you know, this whole syndrome of people falling into their gender roles and women taking care of the men, but also to see what would happen, almost as a kind of ritual space, when you had only women present. And I took all those classes, and they were extraordinary. Sometimes so many women came from all over the city of Boston to sit in because Mary was recognized as a great teacher as well as a great philosopher. And when men wanted to take her classes, Mary offered them the directed independent study. You know, she met with them and said, look, I'd really like to try this, having just women in my classes. I mean, she probably was a little more firm. There was nothing subtle about Mary, but she said, take the independent study. And some of them just went away, and others of them took the independent study and profited greatly from it. Because I knew some of them, who took the directed independent study with her. But she did create these all-female spaces, and it was—it had nothing to do with continuing the pattern of segregating women. It had to do with defying the long-standing pattern that women were left out of education. Education was we'll seen as only for men, and the creation of feminist space.
0: And I've been speaking to Professor Jane Caputi about Mary Daly. You're listening to Radical Philosophy
1: at 8.55am. This is Susan Wolfe from the University of North Carolina. I'm Melanie Rosen, and I like to listen to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, and that's 8.55 on your AM band.
0: Women have had the power of naming stolen from us. Mary Daly. Hope you've enjoyed the interview today, and you've been given plenty of Food for thought. <music>